Did you ever find Bill Clinton attractive? I don't think so, no. I'm definitely a personality person, so if somebody comes in the room and engages in that way, like, it's hard not to be attracted. Like, and I'm very similar to Monica. It's not like I'm the one with the huge aspirations. Like, I'm just here to vibe and have a good time. So if, like, some guy with a twinkle (laughs) in his eye comes over and he happens to be the president, I'm going to blow him, you know? Every time. (laughs) (laughs) History I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History, I'd like to, frankly, I want to know. Hello, and welcome to Hilf. History, I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, podcasting from the den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in the den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Today's Hilf is a young history. From 1998, the public sex scandal of the then 24-year-old intern Monica Lewinsky and the much older very married president of the United States, Bill Clinton. Now, it wasn't the first presidential sex scandal or the first media blitz, but it was the first one to happen on the internet. (laughs) Now, if you, like me, lived through this history, you'll be like, right? The blue dress. And oh my God, I forgot about the cigar. (laughs) And for those of you who are coming into this one cold, you're going to learn about how pink thongs and blowjobs were suddenly brought to America's living rooms, not by the demon MTV or Playboy, but by the nightly news. (laughs) My guest for this hilfing is Kelly Blackheart, podcaster, producer, comedy writer, and all-around badass. We do this whole thing. First kiss to the verdicts, baby. (laughs) Let's get started. Welcome, Kelly Blackheart. How cool is this? I'm so excited to be here. Like, I, I'm always happy to be a guest on somebody else's podcast because the stress <laughs> levels are so low. Like, I literally right. just climbed out of the pool to sit here. Oh, oh, it's so great. I should. Yeah, I we're on. Uh, we're recording remotely, even though we're in the same city. It's just a little easier this way. It's hot. Kelly, it looks to me like you're in your garden. You got your sunglasses on. You didn't have to do shit. And that's the fun of coming on Hill. If you don't got no shit. I, 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 t- I texted you yesterday and I was like, finding out I don't have to do my hair was such a fucking relief. Yeah, like, yeah I don't show people my the video. I day around having to shower and I, nah. the fact that you took that away from me was amazing. Yeah, well, and spoiler alert, you still look out. So nice try. Mm-hmm. The people would be lucky <laughs> if, they, if they could see you. Kelly, uh, I said in, in your intro, you are a podcast producer, among other things. And one of the podcasts that you are a producer on is I Don't Know About That, the podcast with Jim Jeffries and others. And usually you have to know things because Jim is a professional dummy. And per, <laughs> per the title, it is, his, it is his requirement to not know anything about what's going on. And you got to know all the things. <laughs> right? um, and this is actually how we met. I, I, was, uh, I hosted and emceed. Right. Um, a, a night of stand-up comedy at Flappers in Burbank, and Jim Jeffries was a headliner. Met you and his crew that night, and we were peas and carrots, man. Yeah, like we hit it off immediately. And then once I found out that you had your own history podcast, I was like, brilliant. Here is a well that I'm going to keep dipping into because <laughs> you're funny, but like you're so fucking engaging. Like 
our audience loves you. Like, so I'm so excited to have you on more and more. Um, oh. And also, to be fair, I really don't know the things that we're talking about when these are the <laughs> podcast. Like, Jim, Jim is okay. Like, I'm okay with making him look like a moron to make sure our experts look great and love it. But like, he knows so much or uh, at least a little bit about so many things that I'm really blown away most of the time. And now that I've tapped into AI, I don't spend hours doing the research to write the outlines. I go, hey, I, AI, can you write me mm. 25 questions on this? And uh, and then I just take out the bad ones. It's great. Oh, bless it. You know, work smarter. <laughs> and it was so much fun to be the know-it-all. You know, like that's my favorite place to be. Is I, my, I live for times <laughs> when someone asks me questions about things I know. I wake up in the morning and I just say a little prayer. I hope somebody asks me about the 4th of July or George Washington's teeth. And that's why you had a child. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I don't have that desire. I want people to ask me zero questions. <laughs> oh, I know. And Maybe you know what? I think alone. <laughs> I'm lucky because she is really curious about stuff. And she's at that age where she loved, she runs to me and asks me questions about everything. And I know that I'm going to get to that point in like her early adolescence where she's like, I don't, I want to hear it from literally anybody but you, mom. Yes. And I'll be yeah. like, fuck. It's all right. Like, I already but a downloaded. A lot of people think I'm smart. <laughs> right. Come on. Some people like it. Um, <laughs> and it's been so so cool. I was on, uh, I've been on uh, the, I don't know about that podcast twice. I talked about Frankenstein mm -hmm. vibrators. <laughs> we are scheming <laughs> for uh, more future. I will always, you you know, I I would be. You've got range. Anytime. And I appreciate that. Tell me how you came to podcast producing. What brought you here? Oh, okay. So uh, long story short, I actually worked in uh, renewable energy and finance for 11 years. Um, and I made a lot of money and I was really good at what I did. And yes. I wanted to myself every day, like the no. last six months of my last job, I was making the most money I ever had. And I, you know, and I, I've dealt with depression my whole life, uh, had an attempt when I was a teenager, but I was starting to get those ideations again in a way that kind of scared me. And I just knew that it was like, I'm a creative person at heart, but I was doing this thing because I wanted to have money and I wanted, you know, to be really good in sales and all of this stuff. But it's like that part of my brain was dying. Like, mm. um, and so my oldest brother is in the industry and he has been for a long time and he's been, he had been trying to get me into comedy for years. And I was like, dude, I like, I'm not going to take this massive pay cut to go get somebody's coffee. Like, <laughs> right. it's just, I just felt like I was too far along in my career to make a change and survive that. Um, but then, you know, so he directed Tosh.0 for years and then he paired up with Jim to do the Jim Jeffrey show. And when I found out that they were working together, I was like, kind of joking around. I was like, if you need a PA, you need somebody to get coffee. Like I'm at the point now where it was like life or death, really. Like I really thought I was going to do something if I didn't change my life. Mm. Um, and so he's like, I talked to Jim. He said that if uh, you suck, he gets to fire you himself. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, and I started as a PA on the TV show in the digital department. So like doing social media stuff and I was pretty quickly promoted to an associate producer. And then at some point, the producers came to me and they said, Comedy Central wants a podcast. You're going to produce it. And I was like, I don't know okay. how to do that. Uh, <laughs> so I taught myself how to edit and do all that stuff. So I produced that podcast. And then when um, that show got canceled, Jim's like, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that we do another podcast. And like you're coming along 
Um, we finally launched that. I thought I was just going to be producing, but then he's like, there's your seat. And so now I'm a co-host. I was never, I was never anticipating being on the podcast, but it's been so much fun. Like, yeah, I, it, I have to pinch myself all the time going like I changed careers six years ago. I get to sit there in the room with one of the funniest men in the world. And that's my job. Like, yeah. that's really fucking cool. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's my little story. Oh, that's so cool. And it is. The world of comedy, it's one of the reasons I love it, too. Because the worst days in the world of comedy are still the best days. Right. <laughs> and you're you're such a great addition to that show. It was really fun, like, being there. When you first, when, when I first encountered y'all and it was like, oh, we have this podcast. I was like, oh, and I didn't know about it before. So I do the thing, right, where I go out and I, and I listen to a few before I come on. And now, of course, I follow, I listen all the time. It's so much fun. You know, I feel like I'm hanging out with you guys. And I was like, well, Kelly, you like fucking history, girl. Come on the podcast. Let's fuck something. And when I asked you your subject, you came, not only did you come back with Monica Lewinsky and the Clinton Lewinsky sex scandal, but then you told me that like your mom was involved in the case somehow. And I am so intrigued. First of all, why you chose- Don't sell it too much. She was not involved in the case. But she did she was work the in lawyer? the White House. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's name is Linda, but it's not Trip. Uh, so oh, hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, I actually just texted her yesterday, and I was like, "So, were you at the White House at the time that this news broke? Like, because we we lived in yes. um, Virginia for a couple of years while she was, you know, working at, at at the White House, and so she was there a couple of years beforehand but she worked kind of like in the events department and planned parties and stuff like that and so in what years um she was there i want to say 94 95 let me just double check because mm-hmm. they so that would have been monica started her internship in 1995 so it would have been close but maybe not overlapping right if you have any like juice girl squeeze <laughs> the orange and dish uh well i had a blast with this subject Kelly it was really I mean I I know I say this all the time my listeners will be like Dawn this is the whole point you'll fuck anything like I've never hit a history (laughs) subject that I'm like it was boring you're dumb for assigning it you know but this one had a special sort of itch for me because I did live through this one right Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why I love this podcast is because history is of course everything right What you ate for breakfast is history. So when I ask any given guest what subject they want me to fuck, even though technically they're thinking history, what I know is that they're thinking about everything. They're thinking about the world because that is what history is, right? And so sometimes I'm surprised because someone's assignment, I'll think, oh, see, when I think of history, I don't think of that. But of course. And of course, it's tough for people who have lived through a certain event to be like, I was an adult when this happened, so how could it possibly be history? You know what I mean? Right, Um, yeah. So I will, I promise to uh, show some restraint, but I am going to reference a little bit about where I was in my life when this happened because it was closer than I thought in hindsight. Like, when this was taking place, I was a senior in high school, like my last couple years of high school, and I remember thinking that Monica Lewinsky was an adult. And I it, like it, I, even though she was like four and a half years older than me, she's a square. You know what I mean? She's wearing a suit and works in the White House. And I'm going to be an actor who emotes through my whale spout. And right. so we couldn't be more different. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now looking back on it as a mom, I'm like, Monica Lewinsky and I are both in our 40s. 
we're both fucking, <laughs> this is crazy. You know, and Bill Clinton was the right. age of my mom's boyfriend. Like, yuck. Lots yeah. of valuable perspective. That's part of the reason I picked it, too, is because there's been this, like, shift in my own brain when we talk about sexual assault and all of this stuff. I mean, I, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And things that have happened to me that I didn't even classify as certain things have changed the way I see everything. And mm. even just, like, celebrity sex tapes and all of this stuff, like, I feel so badly for how some of these people were treated in the media thinking about how things happened to me when I was young. Like, I just remember being in high school and 17 and when an older guy's into you, of course you're flattered by this, right? right? But like now as a 37-year-old, I go, oh my God, these people are so fucked up. Like that right. was so fucked up. Yeah, and that's one of the amazing Thanks. things that we get when we look back on these events. And the thing that you, me, and Monica Lewinsky all have in common, frankly, is that realization. Oh, and we sorry. will fuck anything. <laughs> Especially if it's kind of a dad type. Am I right? Issues. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by telling you my sources, what I consumed to get all of this information that we're going to be f fucking together. I read this book. See, I thought, look at that. There she is. It's like she's in the room with us. Monica. <laughs> um, it's a biography called Monica's Story, written by a guy named Andrew Morton. And one of the things uh -huh. that makes this particular source valuable is that it was contemporary. It was published in 1999. There's an afterwards that is still talking about like events that were swirling around it. It is very, very much Monica's perspective and uh, mm -hmm. and it's great. And it gives you a lot of insight and, and juicy details. There are a lot, as you can imagine, you and I aren't the only ones who kind of catch this one in the rearview mirror and go back and revisit it now and again. And there are some great podcasts. There's an American crime story season um, called Impeachment, which focuses on Lewinsky sandals. So I will have links to all of these sources uh, that if folks want to follow up and get thoroughly fucked from all angles. Good news. <sighs> so with all of these sources... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the story of the Monica Lewinsky scandal quickly, like brief, like your 101 version, broad strokes. We're going to like lily pad from like the big events, major names, right? And for those of you who did live through it like me, you'll be like, oh, yeah, the blue dress. Yikes. And then with everybody on board, because we all have the context now, we all remember the whole story. I'm going to turn it over to you, Kelly, <laughs> to... Lead, because you're in this wonderful, unique spot where you're with someone who knows things. And so you can just ask questions. I've basically broken the story of the Monica Lewinsky sex scandal into like five lanes, right? We've got like the sex stuff, the legal stuff, the conspiracy theory stuff. And you can like choose your own adventure, your way Ooh. through this hill thing and tell me what you want to hear about next. Yes, I love that. <laughs> this is my first threesome with another woman. So oh, I'm what a day. Very oh, excited. What a day. It's my third, yeah. but that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's just quickly the lay of the land, right? On New Year's Day, 1998, just to kind of put you in the place where like people who were hearing about this stuff for the first time, the basically the White House has like gotten cool again. You know, like it, it was it was full of old people forever. And like Bill Clinton, you know, smokes dope and plays the fucking saxophone on Arsenio Hall. And I listened to 
this uh, a podcast where they had a, a clip from 1998 from the news where they said, oh, these young people in Washington and in the White House, they have all that political power and they can program their VCR. <laughs> oh, these kids. It was just like so quaint and so cute. And then also to give you some perspective, about two years before everything hits the fan with Monica and Bill, we have the Pam and Tommy Lee sex tape which you kind of mentioned earlier because that was when we're looking at it from 2023. You're like, I'm sorry. Someone stole a video, a physical videotape from a safe in your home and sold it for gazillions. And all they could do was be like, Oh, I wish they'd stop. Like, wow. Like I posted a bottle of a, of Coco Chanel perfume uh, like Chanel number no. five on my on my Instagram and Instagram shut it down. Like I was trying to sell fake Chanel number no. five. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I didn't even have any links. Like, you know, like, listen, crazy. trash, we know you don't have this perfume. <laughs> Take it down. <laughs> you're, you can't afford nobody. You can't even you look at your shoes. You're wearing Crocs right now. Be like, God fake damn. news. John could not afford Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking, breaking. Um, And and, uh, the OJ trial was in 1995. So this just means that there was something sort of pumped and primed within, like, the American sphere for, like, sexy details that were none of our fucking business and a media circus of, like, former heroes and, like, nobody's safe. Like, it was all very kind of hot in the water. Okay. Right. So... In January 17th of 1998, there's the Drudge Report, which still exists, but it was like one of the very first like internet blog, anyone can read this. We were still trying to figure out how it worked. And it's breaking this story that there's news that President Clinton is having an affair with a 20-something intern in the White House. And the people who heard it were like, yeah, we know, Jennifer Flowers. And they were like, no, no, that is the woman he had an affair with when he was governor of Arkansas. And was like, right, no, okay, no, I remember now. This is that Paula Jones, is that whole Paula Jones situation, right? And then people were like, Mm-mm, no, Paula Jones is the one who is suing him for sexual harassment. And it was like, oh, this is a new one. And I'm like, yeah, totally new one. And like kind of, and, and everyone's acting a little differently around this one and about this one. And there's all this secrecy and there's all this FBI stuff. Um, on January 26th, 1998, so just like a 10-ish days later, Bill Clinton makes a public statement, ironically, after like some dedication for like an education department building. <laughs> and everyone, and some people are on pins and needles because they know that like he's probably going to say something and he might even resign. Yeah. So everyone's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, public education, super duper. Now what? Right. And he says, I want to tell you guys something. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Two days <laughs> after that statement, Monica Lewinsky gets immunity from Ken Starr and the and the uh, special counsel's office, and she dishes on the sexual relations, the absolutely very sexual <laughs> relations that she had with Bill Clinton, right? And everyone for like a few months, like, oh, my God. And he keeps denying it. And then he denies it really specifically. Uh, He's like, "Okay, well, bisexual relations, I meant, she meant. And it's all this kind of parsing words. 
until he like, finally I, comes I clean. I wasn't in love. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, he he tries to defend himself by saying we didn't. I didn't put my dick in her. Right? There was no actual sexual <laughs> intercourse, and they were like, yeah, that's why we didn't say intercourse. We said relations, right? And then he's like, yeah, no, I totally get it. But like when you said relations, I generally that means I tried to turn her on. I never actually tried to turn her on. She was always trying to turn me on. So I felt like that wasn't really relations. And they were like, sir. And he was finally, <laughs> after a bunch of fuckery, on August 1998, he's he testifies before the grand jury. And he's like, I I did it. I did it. Sexually, I, lied, no, I did it. And I lied. And I'm sorry. I, right? Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment. In December, he's impeached. But he is acquitted, ultimately, of perjury, and he remains in office for another couple years. And he just, from 1999 to 2000, he just goes on being president, and it becomes this, like, footnote in history that we revisit. So that is generally the clinton Lewinsky scandal. It lasted, the, the trial and stuff lasted about a year and a half. It was, of course, all-consuming, uh, and it was crazy. Now... Do you have, before I give you your course, do you have any questions or anything that you need clarification on before we go on? Um, no, not yet. Everything very clear so far. I will have questions. Though. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so here are your five lanes for your choose your own adventure, right? It's kind of so like, excited. do you want to start missionary? Are you more of like back it up kind of gal? Like, how do you want to? <laughs> We've got category one is the nasty. Okay. So this is all of the salacious sex, the pink thong, the cigars and the pussy, all the kinkiest shit. All right. Then we have category number two is I hate Linda Tripp. <laughs> and this is the part of the story that involves the backstabbing fake bitch friend secretly recorded awful. Right. Then we have number three is conspiracy corner. And this is all of the batshit crazy stuff based in reality. Like all good conspiracies have a little dash of reality and a little dash of truth in there. And many of the most salacious and long living conspiracy theories related to the Clintons have their toes in the Lewinsky scandal. Number four category is called a shooting star across a full Ginsburg. And it focuses on the like Da -dum, da -da 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 -da, like the twists and turns of the trial and the, where did the evidence come from and who turned on who and like super, right? And then the okay. last category is cast of thousands. And this is because I am such a geek with this stuff that I, as I'm researching and gathering and gobbling all, all this information, I frequently find myself saying, Don't know. Like, stop. You can't. Like, it's too much. It's just history people want to fuck. So you don't talk about all the other, like, no, let it go, let it go. And so I put a little category in my research of cast of thousands because there are so many peripheral characters and individuals right. that don't feature a huge part of the story but are, like, too fucking interesting to completely ignore. Right? Right. So you got the nasty, I hate Linda Tripp, conspiracy corner, a shooting star across a full Ginsburg. And cast of thousands, you can go in any order you want, girl. Perfect. I Play think first me. we need to we need to hammer into Linda Tripp. I I need some foreplay before the nasty, and I Got feel you. like the conspiracy theory is going to be the cigarette after sex. 
Uh, we'll deal with the others after Linda, but she needs to be dealt with immediately, honestly. Oh, okay, God bless <laughs> you. This is fantastic. So I Hate Linda Tripp is the name of this category in part because pretty much everyone who hears the story ultimately has a little hatred in their heart for Linda Tripp because she sucks. Pretty unequivocally sucks. And Monica Lewinsky went through a meat grinder in this whole process. She's on the stand. She testifies a gazillion times. She's got to talk about all sorts of disgusting stuff in front of her parents, fucking everybody. And at the very end of all this stuff, in her final trial, they ask her, do you have anything else you want to say? And she says, I hate Linda Tripp. <laughs> I'm going to start the Linda Tripp section with a story. Ooh, mm, settle in, little tea. It is January 16th, 1998, and it is in the food court of the D.C. Mall. And Monica Lewinsky has just gotten out of an aerobics class. She's still sweaty, and she's there to meet her very best friend, Linda Tripp. Linda Tripp, who she's known for about a year, who she has confided in to a level that you only do with your very, very besties. And and Monica has other besties that are live in various places, and she's spoken to them on the phone, including about some of her affair with Bill Clinton. But Linda Tripp is her closest confidant. Out tears and sobs and advice and just intense. And things between the two of them had gotten even more connected and intense because they had found out not long before that they were both going to be roped into this Paula Jones trial and that they would both have to testify in this Paula Jones trial and neither of them could crack who is giving the Paula Jones lawyers our names. I mean, it's such a mystery. Why are we even in this corner? It's so scary. But girl, I got your back. And yeah, oh girl, I got your back. And oh, you know. And so Linda calls Monica, I, I need to meet you for lunch. The DC mall, she says, okay. And as she sees Linda Tripp coming down the escalator, she walks towards her to give her a hug. And as she opens her arms to give Linda a hug, Linda gives her this little look like, Mm-mm, there's two people behind me, like, gah, gah. and Monica looks, and there's these two black suit wearing FBI scary dudes who take her by the arm and say, we are with the special counsel's office and you have to answer our questions immediately. And and Monica says in this book to this day, she knew immediately and in that second exactly what had happened and what Linda had done. And Linda, by Linda's own account, knew that Monica knew because she says, they did it to me too, Monica. Monica, I'm so sorry. Don't, trust me. They just did this exact same thing to me, implying that like she had just been under some sort of heat lamp. Awful, right? And she, Monica Lewinsky, never, of course, speaks to Linda Tripp ever again. Um, and they had first met working at the Pentagon because Monica Lewinsky's affair with Bill Clinton started when she worked as an intern in the White House. Then people are like, this isn't great. <laughs> you're around the White You're it. You are too close <laughs> to the president. And they move her to the Pentagon. And the Pentagon, apparently, to the White House, it's like boring to Partyville. You know, like the Pentagon's full of suits and boring and thing. And the White House had like pizza parties and it was great. And saxophones. And, and saxophones and joints every once in a while. And don't forget, she was blowing the guy like her boyfriend. Right. That is more fun, so, honest. It is. Trust me. Right. And I've never been to the Pentagon, but it doesn't look like any fun. And um, and so when she gets there, she's like, oh, it sucks. And she sees Linda Tripp has on her desk huge pictures of Bill Clinton, like two big 
like bigger than an eight by 10 pictures of Bill Clinton. And they're like handsome portraits. And they were like from an event. And so Monica sees these on Linda Tripp's desk and says like, ooh, those are so like, he's so cute. Like, I wish I had one of those on my desk. And it's the first misunderstand. It's the first arguably trap laid by Linda Tripp because the only reason she had those pictures on her desk is because she fucking hated Bill Clinton. She had been hired by George H.W. Bush. That or not hired by him directly, but that was the administration that she had started with. And when the Clintons came in, she hated it. She hated how young and hip and cool right. and loose. She thought they were a disgrace to the White House. And she figured people might kind of think that she's not as loyal because she wasn't. And so she seriously had these pictures up as like a decoy, literally to make people think she liked Bill Clinton. And then she's like, oh, yeah, you like him. And she's like, yeah, I do. I think he's kind of cute. And she's like, well, you you seem like the kind of girl he'd be into. And she's like, oh, <laughs> you know, right. And their f- friendship grows. And one day on a particularly like fragile moment, Bill hasn't called her at the time he said she w- he was going to call her. She confides in Linda Tripp and it confesses that they're lovers, that she's has a sexual relationship with it. Linda Tripp at this point has like, already spoken to a book publisher, had already tried, before she even met Monica Lewinsky, had already tried to get a book published slandering the Clintons and had bailed on it because it was was definitely not provable, like what she was saying. Even though she believed it, she was like, nah, never mind. So she calls this book publisher back and is like, I know that like last time I said I had a book, it didn't work out, but trust me, girl, I got a book now. I am close friends with a gal blowing the president. And this gal, Lucianne Goldberg, says, go to Radio Shack and get a recorder. A deep cut. And start <laughs> recording her right now. And Linda Tripp, who lives in Maryland, goes, is that legal? And she's like, totally. I do it all the time. <laughs> right? So Linda records of over 20 hours of this young girl much younger than her, weeping, crying, sobbing, confiding. And Linda doesn't just listen. Linda says things like, you should keep working on this. You should call him now. You should call him later. You should see if he can get you a job. Like, pushing her into, like, things that did make it legally questionable. She said things like, you should start a spreadsheet. (laughs) Detailing. Every sexual encounter you've had with him and when. And Monica, that was like, why would I do that? And she was like, so you can see patterns of like when he's around and when he's interested in you. And like that this will help you. She was totally saying this will help you get this relationship where you want it. Like, yuck. She has been leaking all of his information to various people. And her book publisher, Lucian Goldberg, is like, here's what we're going to do. You stay anonymous. I will send your tapes out and I will let the Paula Jones trial lawyers know that there's this thing. They can establish a pattern of behavior that the president does this kind of thing. But we won't release your book until after. So let's wait until everyone gets super interested and then it will be like you were the confidant. And Linda says, great. And it cooperates and sets up her friend. And what happens to Monica Lewinsky after that is painful. And one of the most painful things I learned, one of the reasons I hate Linda Tripp, is because Lucian Goldberg, who also sucks, says to Linda Tripp, if you do this, it will destroy her. And she goes, I've come to peace with that. Whoa. I fucking hate people like this. Like, totally. I have such a guilt complex that if I accidentally hurt somebody's feeling, that will eat me up for the rest of my life. Like, the, the thought of intentionally doing something to hurt somebody... 
and that's I that was a fact that I wasn't sure about, like the relation with Linda and Monica, because my perception was always that she was this older woman. Mm-hmm. That's even more fucked up. Like, totally. And honestly, when I was researching well, it, I was like, Linda Tripp is essentially Bill Clinton. Just an older person who like needed to like feed on the like sexual life of this young person to like get some gross thing that they like needed to just continue to be kind of a gross person. Um, I will have links to all of these sources, but there is a podcast um, from Slate that was recorded in like 2019. This journalist literally calls her up, Linda Tripp. And not only does Linda answer, he's like, I'm a journalist. I'd like to ask you some questions. And she dishes. She just starts talking. And dude, of course, is recording her. And then at the end of the conversation, she doesn't necessarily give him permission to use the recording. And he's like, wow, (laughs) am I in a pickle? (laughs) Literally, Linda Tripp just dished. Like, what do I do? And he follows up with her and says, I'd like to continue to talk with you. I I want to, like, follow up with more questions, but I do want to use tape. And it's really interesting to listen to. She does feel guilty. She tears up a little bit when she recalls the incident at the mall. She says, I have a daughter, and I think about what what I would feel if someone had done that to my daughter, and she gets a little emotional. But at the end of the day, she's like, you know what, though? Monica fucked the president and then lied about it, and I don't feel bad. And it's like she just sort of left out or conveniently forgot or, or eliminates the fact that she set this bitch up from the day they met. Right. Scary. Yep. Ugh. All right, so we've we've done some like nipple flicks. Uh, we've like drank our <laughs> our Merlot with an R. I hate Linda Tripp. And uh, hey, listen, we're gonna take a very quick break and then come back and uh, and hear your next choice. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Wherever there are rules, there is someone going astray. Sex, sleaze, and shady power moves, it's a story as old as time. I'm Kiki Anderson. As a comedian and former journalist, not a lot surprises me anymore. But as we stumble through a doomed world in a digital hellscape, it can drive you crazy trying to make sense of what is and isn't kosher. On Indecent, I'm peeling at the wallpaper of polite society to understand the why and the who behind our taboos. Come along for the ride as I explore everything from porn to politics, tech, and religion. If you can't get through the day without, you know, rubbing one out in the bathroom stall at the office, you got a problem. There's a big community around people trying to trade tips and, like, tricks on on how to suck your own and like just many different pages of threads about this and then people kind of create like friendships through this subscribe rate and review indecent with kiki anderson on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts also go to ncpodcast.com slash indecent to learn more indecent with kiki anderson where nsfw meets lmao Okay, we are about to go deeper into Monica Lewinsky. But first, may I get on my knees and thank my latest patrons, Amanda B. and Keith S. Oh, you are generous lovers of the pod, and I am so grateful for your support. If you, too, want to jump into bed with health, get instant updates, or see pictures of shitty Linda Tripp, (laughs) just... Have you ever had a sex scandal? 
uh, my nudes were posted on that, you know, that Netflix documentary that just came out recently. My nudes were posted on that website. Yeah. <gasps> and oh, shit. I think that it was my ex-boyfriend's like girlfriend at the time um, because these were like mm. older photos and uh, from my re- recollection, like only he had them. But I think she got mad that he had them saved and posted it because like on the on mm. that site, a lot of times people would write like really nasty things about the person. It was just my picture. So I think that gave me some grace in the comments. Like if if they perceive you to be a bad person at sure. all, like they're going in hard. But I yeah. remember I went to sleep one night, woke up at 7 a.m. and I had like 240 friend requests on Facebook. And I and I like joked around and I wrote a status mm. that's like, did somebody like make a craigslist ad saying i give free blowjobs or something and like and then somebody i like vaguely knew was like you're on is anyone up and i was like i had i knew the name of the website but i had never been on and i remember like typing it into the thing and like my heart was just racing out of my chest and i was on the first page and i was like are you fucking kidding me like uh yeah oh fuck you've got four more positions uh available to you here so the my last two are going to be the nasty followed by conspiracy theories so uh okay so you've got a shooting star across a full ginsburg or cast of thousands let's do the shooting star oh all the hot legal drama so ken star he's essentially a church pew posing as a lawyer i mean he (laughs) He literally he used to sell Bibles door to door, and he <laughs> is in the he's the special prosecutor who is originally assigned to investigate the Clintons, but via the Whitewater land deal. So his initial assignment was to get to the bottom of that, uh, and he ultimately finds his way into Monica Lewinsky's panties. Okay, we'll get like how that all un- unfurled. The full Ginsburg is a term, if you are a current event snob like me, because I can't help it, and you're listening right now as we record this, you will have heard the term the full Ginsburg coming back into flavors. Like, what the fuck is the full Ginsburg? Is this like the full Monty? Is it like showing tits? Like, what is this? That's when Ruth Bader Ginsburg haunts terrible men. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so this guy is Bill Ginsburg. He was a medical malpractice lawyer that was hired by Monica Lewinsky's dad when she calls him from, like, a blind panic under a heat lamp with the FBI. He's like, oh, my God, we need a lawyer. And he's like, I'll call old Bill. And for, like, the first couple days, Bill Ginsburg is a huge help to Monica Lewinsky and and her family because she was... After she gets, you know, picked, I say arrested, but she was taken into custody by the FBI. They say, of course, you can leave whenever you want to, but it is, you face 27 years in prison. We know you signed an affidavit, a legal document, saying that you did not have sex with Bill Clinton. You did not have sexual relations with Bill Clinton. And we have evidence that you did. We know you were lying. Because we can prove you were lying, you stand to face 27 years in prison. They keep saying this, 27 years, 27 years. And your mom's going to go to jail because you told her. And if she doesn't co- she doesn't turn on you, we're going to put your mom in jail. We're going to put your dad in jail. I mean, they are scaring her. She still talks about it in like PTS, just these hours of, of, 
aggression. And one of the things they're telling her, Ken Starr and his deputies in this hotel room at the Ritz-Carlton, we can help you, but what you need to do is either wear a wire and go talk to Bill Clinton so that we can catch him telling you to lie, giving, offering you favors to lie, or you can just call him up and we'll record it on the phone. But we want you to say to him, Bill, it's Monica. They're, the FBI is here and they're asking me what I should say so that they can get a soundbite of him saying, don't tell them anything. Something really incriminating that would bring it, this whole thing home. And Monica, God bless her, doesn't. Says no. Wow. And they are scaring her, man. She is sobbing. She's 23, 24. And she won't do it. And she said, he'd never told me to lie about this. He never offered me a job. He never threatened me. It's a total lie. I won't set him up like that. It's not true. What you're telling me to do isn't true. I see what you're doing. She and they are coming down hard. So when Bill Ginsburg shows up as a lawyer, finally, she gets to walk out of that room for the first time. And he takes good care of her and he represents her well for like a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Because the term, the full Ginsburg, is because once this whole thing became celebrity stuff, right, he appeared on all of the Sunday morning talk shows. There's like five or six of them at the time. And he went on every single one. And that had like never been done before. And so people are like, oof, that's the full Ginsburg. And the reason it's back in the news right now, and the term might be familiar, is because Trump's lawyers just two weeks ago under investigation, the whole thing, are doing this. They're called the full Ginsburg. And the reason, and they're being criticized for doing the full Ginsburg for the same reason the original Ginsburg got pegged for doing the full Ginsburg. Because the point is, you can't be that great of a lawyer if you're spending all day Sunday on fucking TV. And or you know your case is lost or you feel insecure about your case. And so you're trying to just get people to believe what you're not going to be able to prove ultimately in court. Um, Ultimately, Alan Dershowitz, which is a name people might remember from like the news these days, literally gets on the news and says to Monica Lewinsky and her family, you've got to fire this man. He's a bad <laughs> lawyer and he's not representing you well. And you are up against like the best of the best and like Ginsburg's got to go. And so the Lewinsky's fire Bill Ginsburg and get these other lawyers. And within like a day, she's got full immunity deal. Damn. And- She's in, like, a much, much better situation. Ken Starr, man. Generally speaking, history seems to agree that what drove Ken Starr ostensibly was an over-eager sense of right. That he just, like, really couldn't stand lying. And he couldn't stand infidelity. And he couldn't stand immorality. And so... His job by God and by law was to purify the American government and certainly the White House from this salacious whatever, right? He was on a crusade. He denied it, of course. He was like, how dare they bring faith into this? First of all, freedom of religion. So they, they, these horrible Democrats, when they can't criticize you for anything else, they criticize you for your religion, but I won't be, blah, 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 you know. But like, certainly at the time and in hindsight, the extent to which he needed the detail of the sexual situations and the positions and which, was it the thumb and the index finger that twisted your nipple? And, you know, <laughs> like, Ken, you know, 
And then if you wanted to just look at like, okay, well, however you feel about the Monica Lewinsky thing, after the trial is done and Bill Clinton is, he's impeached, but he's acquitted of perjury, his approval rating at the end of his presidency was 73%. Like higher than any, it was was at its peak when he was being impeached. And the people were like, you should not remove him from office. If the the whole thing is like, yes, the president tells any little, any lie. This wasn't a lie about national security. It wasn't a lie to improve himself. And we, they never proved that he offered her a job or threatened her. Just that like, were they like, did you fuck her? And he went, no. And the American public was like, ah, that's like, do I look good in this kind of lies? You know, (laughs) like we... We aren't, we aren't into that. <laughs> uh, so that is the shooting star <laughs> across a full Ginsburg. Now you've got cast of thousands, because you wanted to do, you want to, you're saving yep. conspiracy yep. cast corner of thousands. Anyway. This, I think, would make a great musical. I think we need to do Monica Lewinsky, the musical, because everyone yeah. that I'm going to mention right now, I think, would be like great chorus. You know, they could come downstage <laughs> and like right. deliver the truth. <clears throat> one of them, one of my favorite characters is a gal named Betty Curie. And Betty Curie is Bill Clinton's secretary. And she, this poor gal, I mean, she is the one who has to sneak Monica in and out, pretend she doesn't know anything, patch their calls through, listen to Monica sob and sob and say things like, I know he's in town, Betty. I saw the news and he said he wasn't going to call. And she's like, he's in a meeting, Monica. I'll try to use he saw. You know, I mean, it's poor Betty. And there's even a point where like, in the middle of the scandal breaking, Betty's brother dies in a car accident. Jesus. And she, Monica Lewinsky, is like, oh, shit, that probably means I won't be able to see Bill Clinton for a little while. <laughs> oh, Christ. Um, and she, of course, is dragged through the ringer during the trial. She has to go and get a bunch of pre- presents. Bill and Monica exchanged a lot of very heartfelt gifts to one another, all of which became evidence. And Betty had to, like, went to Monica's and got a box of presents. And then so she had to go on trial and talk. It was like, oh, poor Betty. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, here's a really good villain. This is one of my favorite villains. His name is Andy Blyler. And he was Monica's first married older boyfriend. Oh. He is Scuzzbucket. This whole thing breaks. And one of the first things that happens is this Andy Blyler. He's like an old theater director when she was a high school student at Bel Air High. And he's like the older pervy theater director. And when she graduated from high school, she went back and worked for the theater department and they were fucking and he got married and then he had a kid and they kept fucking and then she became friends with his wife and babysat his kids and they kept fucking and they would be like off and on. And like, obviously, that's just like not great biography material anyway, but it's certainly really bad when everyone wants to know about the current married guy that you're fucking and, you know, yuck. Right. Um, (laughs) These are some names that would be like familiar, probably otherwise, but I didn't like were involved in the Lewinsky case. I had no idea. There's a certain Supreme Court justice, Brett Kavanaugh, what? was 30 years old and clerking and working for Ken Starr. And he delivered a bunch of papers and was deeply entrenched in the investigation uh, into some stuff that is now like conspiracy theory world. But yeah, Brett Kavanaugh worked for Ken Starr's office actively during this time. Crazy. Um, Ann Coulter. Do you know her? The like 
conservative, uh, yeah. blonde. Yeah. She's got like crazy Fuck Ann long Coulter. neck. Yeah. yeah, she's a Ann total Cunter. bitch. Yeah. So Ann Cunter, totally, was her rise to fame like the only reason anyone really gave a shit about Ann Coulter to begin with is because I told you this is 1998 and the thing is the thing that everyone knows is the White House and the Clintons and the Democrats are young and cool and fashionable and the Republicans are white haired pudgy sex police Mm -hmm. so Ann Coulter as a conservative and a young hot conservative was very convenient for for Republicans at this time to be like, see, we have Ann Coulter. Get this. She ugh, is buddies with Ken Starr because they, in addition to being conservatives, are in this apparently small group of deadheads, conservative deadheads in Washington. They loved the Grateful Dead. Oh, no. I know. So Ken Starr <laughs> knows that Ann Coulter has this like bitchin' sound system in her apartment because they sit around and listen to the Grateful Dead all the time. And that is where they sit and listen to Linda Tripp's tapes on Ann Coulter's fucking sound system in her living room. Why would you need surround sound for that? Right? (laughs) And Ann Coulter on this podcast is like, yeah. I mean, Ken had this like one speaker dictaphone machine and and I was like, oh, Ken, like we got to go to my house because I have. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> Jake Tapper, who is like a talking head. Yeah. Dated Monica Lewinsky. While like before the story broke, but while she was in Washington, which means it could have been like same time unconfirmed but like they went out a few times he spoke very highly of her crazy this is like finding out that some of your favorite actors were like friends in high school and you're like whoa like oh they've been doing this together the whole time you're like yeah. what the fuck oh, they were man. all there small world man <laughs> if we were to do the musical this would be I think the act break <laughs> or like the through line so on once the trial starts and, and people are kind of publicly coming out to comment on and influence this case. There are a pair of brothers. Bill Bennett is a conservative writer and commentator, and he has just written a book on morals and values and how to be like a good and decent person. And he's very conservative. So people have him on the talk shows and he's sort of like an influential figure in conservative circles. And he is coming out everywhere all the time saying, essentially, we just can't have liars run the country. I'm not about, I don't care what happened. This doesn't impact me. It's just that our values and our morals are more important than any given person. And that is why I think President Clinton needs to step down and why I think it's justified that we are coming after him like this. Right. His older brother, Bob Bennett, is Bill Clinton's personal attorney. The one representing him in the Paula Jones case. Oh, my God. Which is already like... You know, you, you have to know, do they love each other? Do they right. hate each other? This, like, you have to know the dynamic between these two brothers, yes. right? And yeah. so the news, and they keep being mis- misrepresented. So, like, the news would, like, show a picture of one, and because they're both B. Bennett, Bill and Bob, they'd switch them around all the time, which normally wouldn't matter. But in this case, it matters right. extraordinarily. <laughs> so much. They yeah. would ask him. They asked Bill, the the conservative one, so what do you think your brother Bob is doing? Do you think that if your brother Bob realizes that he's an immoral guy or believes that he's lying, that he'd come around to your side of thinking? And Bill is like, don't talk about my brother. I love him. He loves me. And we are close. And that doesn't matter. 
And it was like, they just shut it down. Right. These two grew up with an abusive stepdad and a single mom. They went to a super, like, strict church. The older brother was like a boxer and a scrapper and like a tough kid. And the younger brother, Bill, who ended up being the conservative one, was like shy and frail. And his older brother was constantly protecting him and defending him against bullies. And their bond was just so deep and so strong and so unbreakable. And yet, of course, they're on legitimately just two totally opposite sides of this issue. Crazy, right? I thought this had to be a deal. Nobody really got that focused on it during the trial. But apparently after on some very small, conservative, narrowly broadcast, they had a debate. And I've not, I cannot find the debate. I have looked and looked and looked. I've only heard accounts of the debate. But um, I have a feeling that it could inform some of the conversations we are having in 2023 right. if these two brothers could literally be on that razor's edge and manage if to If you're listening, find those tapes. Email it to us. Find the tapes. Do you want to go right into conspiracy corner as yeah. long as we're dishing, right? All right. So... As we've said, this this deep hatred for the Clintons is undertowing all of this. And in a lot of the official records, you can hear it. People say things like this president thinks that he can get away. You know, some of it is very accusational. But but generally they say, no, 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 I don't hate the Clintons. Don't misunderstand me. This is about how much I love the country and how much I love the truth and how much I love doing the right thing. That's all this is about. But when you read Monica's biography, and now we've had 25 years since the incident, they dished a lot about, like, these people are evil. We need to remove this evil element from the White House at any cost, at any stakes. Like, the soul of the nation depends on us doing that. You know, it got, it got right. very overt at some point. But, like, some of the seeds of the growing uh, conspiracies come here. And, and, and specifically around what Ken Starr had been originally assigned to investigate, which was the Whitewater land deal. And this was like an old scandal that had begun when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas. And essentially what happened is him and Hilly and some of their other rich friends bought up a ton of real estate around the lakes in the Ozarks, and they're going to build resorts, right? It's just a land mm -hmm. investment. And it's the 90s, man. Things were going great until they weren't, if you recall. And everything went off a cliff. <laughs> and uh, and so they lost a ton of money. And then some of their investors, some of the like people who had created this investment with them went into banking, like bought a bank, which I don't understand how you just get a bank, but they have a bank. And then their <laughs> bank made some questionable loans and donations to Bill Clinton's presidential campaign. And just generally the accusation was this Whitewater land deal was a scam or it was a shelter for money. It was laundering money. It was harboring illegal campaign contributions. There was something up there. Too much money was invested and too much money was lost. And, and the Clintons must be involved somehow. And that had been rumoring for a while. Then Bill Clinton is elected president. And and it kind of, and the scandal, of course, goes with him, but it's like the stakes are even higher. And one of the people that goes with he and Hillary to D.C. is one of Bill Clinton's aides, a guy named Vince Foster. And Vince Foster had also invested in the Whitewater land deal, also had worked for the Clintons, and he had also lost a ton of money. And also, he didn't like D.C. When they moved there, he was just like, didn't didn't fit in well. It was not it was not Arkansas, right? right? 
<laughs> he's losing weight and he's getting depressed and he's talking about how sad he is and how depressed he is. And then on one sad day, he goes into a local park and he shoots himself once in the head, puts a gun in his mouth, shoots himself in the head. Tragic, right? Well, Linda Tripp knew Vince Foster and he was the only guy in the whole Clinton administration that she liked. She thought that he was serious, you know, he was stoic, he was, he was, you know, going to be a grown-up in the Oval Office. And so when he committed suicide, she was one of the first people that was like, nah, no, they killed him. He was going to testify against them in this Whitewater land deal, and the Clintons murdered him. And the murder that Vince Foster didn't commit suicide, but was murdered, if you go right now to the internet, because I certainly did. People are talking about that today. There was actually on the anniversary of his death in 2017, there was a viral post that said, this is the anniversary of the day that Vince Foster went into a park and shot himself three times in the back of the head to avoid testifying against Bill and Hillary Clinton. And people were like, wow, the only true thing about that is that this is the anniversary of the day he shot himself in a park. Right. it was in the mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was. So like, that was... so that was the first like allegation that the Clintons were having people that were against them murdered. Definitely. I mean, wow. if it wasn't the very first one, yes, this is the seeds. Is that the idea is that the Clintons began their evil, you know, or or accentuated right. their evil deeds because of this Whitewater land deal and the possibility of, you know, being destroyed. Which, you know, you see what they didn't do to Monica Lewinsky to, like, get out of that. Yeah. And you're like, kind of like, it's very interesting, you know. But <laughs> um, so that was like, and, and Linda Tripp was one of the first people that was like, bullshit. Okay. But Ken Starr is investigating, in part, the suspicious suicide of Vince Foster. It wasn't just conspiracy theory. It was an accusation, an accusation that was investigated. And guess who was part of the team that delivered the legal final result by Ken Starr and the special counsel that he absolutely committed suicide with a single gunshot wound into his own mouth, and he had been under psychiatric advisement. He had told people he wanted to kill himself. He had gotten increasingly depressed, all of this kind of stuff. It was Brett Kavanaugh. What? This whole investigation involved four lawyers, five physicians, seven FBI agents, approximately 125 witnesses, DNA tests. And finally, in 1994, they said, "Okay, listen, officially, it was a suicide. Okay, this was a personal collapse, not a White House scandal. And I don't know why it's still there. It's because it's part of that just stringing the pearls of like, nah, they somehow had, you know, something that was going on there. Um, Another one of my of the conspiracies that gets its legs is this. It's the Jews. The Jews. What did what did they do? The lowercase italics Jews. Well, Monica Lewinsky is Jewish. Right. So there was a huge uh, conspiracy theory that began at the time that Monica Lewinsky was, in fact, a Jewish spy from, you know, the Jewish (laughs) overseers of the world. And that this was because it was so timely that she specifically had started a sexual relationship with Bill Clinton to get him to bomb Iraq. And that that was the whole purpose of her blowing in was to try to convince him to 
bomb Iraq and other involvement in the Middle East. Succubus. Are we ready to get into the nasty? You know what? I didn't know what order you'd go in. I kind of thought you'd pick the nasty first. And I actually think that knowing all the other stuff first is going to make this part actually even more, even more fun. <laughs> uh, first of all, Monica Lewinsky gets to Washington, D.C., brokenhearted from a, a relationship with a married man and to get away from that ponytailed molester, Andy Blyther, right? <laughs> so Monica rolls into D.C. just like hot and heartbroken, which we all know is a terrible combination. But she has no crush on Bill Clinton at all. She is not. She does not think about him. There is no like picture of him on a wall or she's never commented to anybody like, ooh, he's, he's kind of cute. In fact... She feels like a complete fish out of water because she has no political ambitions at all. And there is a day she's sitting in the cafeteria with the other White House interns, and all these gals are talking about their big dreams. I want to be Secretary of State. I want to be President myself someday. I'm going to be a congressman from my... And they're like, what about you, Monica? What do you want to do? And she's like, oh, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, she's just like not ambitious. And she does... I mean, she's starting to feel like, oh, these businesswomen, they're so serious. They belong here. And I don't. And while they're sitting and talking, Bill Clinton walks by kind of like in the foreground, you know, and all of the women, all of these interns who are talking so seriously, like, oh, right. Oh, my God. There he is. Oh, God. Look at him in his jeans. And with his blue tie really brings out his eyes. And Mike is like, what? Like, gross. Did you ever find Bill Clinton attractive? I don't think so no I mean I was extremely young but I do I do remember feeling like he was super charismatic and charming and all of those things so like I can totally understand like I'm definitely a personality person so if somebody comes in the room yeah. and engages in that way like it's hard not to be attracted like and I'm very similar yeah. to Monica it's not like I'm the one with the huge aspirations like I'm just here to vibe and have a good time so if like some guy with a twinkle right. in his eye comes over and he happens to be the president I'm gonna blow him you know every time it's <laughs> not appropriate and then her mom calls and is like Monica I know this is so exciting I don't even know if you would be able to get this as an intern but my high donor friend got us rope front standing seats <laughs> When Bill Clinton comes in on his plane, we're going to meet him and shake his hand at this reception line. And she's like, oh, mom. And she's like, please, Monica, please. She's like, all right. You know, she kind of does this like a favor to her mom. And they're standing at this rope. And Bill Clinton comes walking down the aisle. And, and this is, she still, Monica, this is exactly how she describes her first meeting. He stopped and shook her hand and looked her deep in the eyes. And she says, I felt my feet come off the ground. My heart skipped a beat, and she understood what all of those women in the cafeteria had been describing. They were like, he's just got something about him. And she called it, Monica called it, the full Clinton, when he gave you the full Clinton. And, and so many people, men and women, people who fucked him and people who just respected him, say he had this ability to make you feel like you were the only one in the room He's tall, he's the most powerful man on earth, and he smells good, and he's pretty fit, and all this stuff. Anyway, she is literally like, fuck, like blowback. Monica also is down to fuck. And what I know about people who are down to fuck is they find each other. It's like people who like cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. There are, there are visible and invisible and audible and inaudible signals that people are putting out and receiving. 
Mm-hmm. The electricity. Absolutely. And she even gets that like, oh, God. And she spins her badge around quickly because he like she catches him looking over his shoulder back at her and she spins her badge around so he can see her name. And she's like, oh, my fucking God, I have a crush on the president. OK, she goes to work the next week and it's like there's a party, a, a birthday party. And he shows up at the intern's birthday party and like eats pizza with everybody. And he can't stop looking at her. And she notices and he notices and she and he remembers her and she's like oh my god right then she goes to his <laughs> birthday party and when they meet face to face again she he says hello again like yeah bitch like you're right i'm paying attention and she sings like marilyn monroe just the two of them happy birthday and laughs ha <laughs> and he kind of and he kind of laughs and when he leaves she blows him a kiss again like marilyn monroe right and he laughs, throws his head back and laughs. I mean, there's, there are people that are so much more, like, I've never been a flirt. I'm like, that's just not my vibe. So when I'm watching like reality TV, for instance, and I'm watching a girl who's super forward, like, it feels so foreign to me. I'm like, I can't, I would never put yeah. myself out there like that. It makes me cringe. It makes me nauseous. But like, I <sighs> I give it up to people who give it up, you know? <laughs> Then, as historical crazy happens, there's a government shutdown in 1996. And one of the things that that means is that all the paid staff in the White House get furloughed. And it means the only people who can come to work are these unpaid interns. (laughs) So there's like a skeletal crew. The president's kind of idle and he's around all the time. And there's not as many people watching out for him either. And she sees that he's been kind of around her desk and she knows where he is. And this is her big move. She sees that he's about to come out of his office and around the corner and past her desk. She maneuvers her way over. She lifts up the back of her jacket with two fingers and intentionally flashes him her thong. Her, like, bright pink thong hanging out over her pants. Just, like, make sure he sees it. And she immediately after is like, oh, oops. Oh, that was fucking nuts. That was fucking crazy. I forgot this isn't a fuckboy. This is the president of the United States. That might have been a bridge too far. And yet, he calls her into his office. Just a minute later, she walks by. The door's open. What do you know? (laughs) And he calls her, hey, you, come here. And she goes in. He says, so where did you go to college? You know, just as if he's just kind of casually trying to get to know one of his staff. And she says, you know, I have a huge crush on you. That's her answer. (laughs) Mm. And he says, why don't you come with me into my inner office? They kiss a ton, all hot, all crazy. Hair kiss just like (gasps) swept up. He grabbed her around the waist and they kiss and she loves the way he kisses her and it's nuts and he's feeling her up. And then they like tousled, leave the office. Same day, later in the day, they find themselves back there and she blows him. Day one. (laughs) She blows him. And this is another part that I find most curious about this story. Apparently, she blows him several times, but he doesn't come until the infinite, uh, the infamous blue dress. Uh, obviously, there's one. But like, I cannot figure out how you know when a blowjob is over if they don't come. He just how do you know? He just taps you on the head and says, "Thanks, champ. You did just- a great job." <laughs> 
So it's called the blue dress. Then it was called the gap dress. Then it was called the cocktail dress. And I'm just like, the gap needed to get on this. Right. She had gone to the White House to see him do some um, State of the Union address. And they hadn't seen each other for a while. They would sometimes go months and months without being able to be alone together. In between times, they would have phone sex. He'd call her and they would get each other off on the phone. All of this we know, of course, because she'd tell Linda Tripp everything about this stuff. And that was the one where she felt so special because he came on her dress. She didn't know it at the time. In fact, she went out for dinner afterwards and thought maybe it was guacamole. And the only reason this whole dress thing was known was because Linda, she had said something about, yeah, I think that's, I, it's either guacamole or his semen on this dress in my closet. And I feel like if it's his semen, he should pay me for the dry cleaning. That's the only reason, because you made a stupid joke. That was the original, is this dress black and blue or gold and white? Is like, is this dress covered in cum or guacamole? <laughs> and the internet was totally split. <laughs> in fact, it was wrong. Next thing we're talking about in, the, in our nasty category here is the, is the cigar situation. Mm. Now, the cigar situation is so bizarre because I was, as I said, late teens, early 20s when this whole thing was going on. And I remember them saying, the late night shows. I remember the innuendo about the cigar. I remember people saying, as long as they have a cigar, Monica Lewinsky in the cigar. And it's fairly obvious. It's this phallic thing. He probably put it in her pussy, but I don't know. They're not saying it. And it was one of the few things they weren't saying because mm -hmm. they talked about cum on the dress. And they talked about blowjobs. They talked about phone sex on the news and in the whole thing. 25 years later, I'm reading her biography, and they say the incident with the cigar. And I'm listening to the podcast where she's talking about the whole thing, and they say blowjob, and they say come stay sale, and then they say, and then that whole cigar thing. And I'm like, fuck, right? Like, this must be good if everybody knows about it, and nobody will actually say what it was. And I'm looking, fine. can you guess where I finally had to go to find the details of the situation with the cigar? Miss Cleo. <laughs> Who knows everything? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. She knew before it happened that it was going to happen. Like, it went in a pussy. Well, how could you possibly need me to tell you this? Yeah. Um, it was the Star Report. It was the actual government filing issued by Ken Starr. And it says about the situation with the cigar, it says this. On March 31st, 1996, while Hillary Clinton is in Ireland on a trip, Bill calls Monica up at her desk, asks her to, quote, deliver some papers to him. <laughs> she does. They start making out, and it's, oh, is this a cigar? And then he, quote, inserted the cigar into Miss Lewinsky's vagina, then put the cigar in his mouth and said, quote, it tastes good, unquote. After they were finished, Miss Lewinsky left the Oval Office and walked through the Rose Garden. <laughs> I mean, talk about Hilf. Like, that is not just history I'd like to fuck. It was history of a fucking. Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, like, imagine going back to your cubicle after you've just been fucked by a cigar. Uh, how, how do you have, like, a water cooler conversation after that? God, right? <laughs> and all of this was because one of the nuances when Bill Clinton said, oh, I thought when you said sexual relations, you meant I never tried to turn her on. I never tried to turn her on, which is when Ken Starr is like, I need Monica Lewinsky to tell me every time he touched her. And so she'd have to be like, he played with my tits. He, sung. he tried to put his hands. I told him he couldn't finger me that day because I had my period, all of that kind of stuff. 
All just to get him on that nuance of like, yeah, you did try to turn her on. Oh, crazy. Well, listen, at the end of this, you know, here we are 25 years later, right? It'll be 26 years, right around the corner. And it was something that occurred to me after reading her biography because she kept cycling on that. They kept threatening me with 27 years. You'll fit 27 years in jail. That's the sentence. It's almost guaranteed if you don't work with us. And she really withstood so much pressure not to like sell out her friends or lie or lie in the act of trying to catch someone else in a lie. And as we are approaching the 27th anniversary of this scandal, Monica has kind of gotten out of jail in a way. Like, she never served any time, but there right. was something yep. prolific about them saying 27 years because she has written several powerful essays about Me Too for Vanity Fair. Um, she was a producer on the American Crime Story impeachment Ooh. series on FX. Yes, I love that. Um, and she gives TED Talks on um, online bullying and the power of shaming people and cancel culture, because, of course. <laughs> and um, and it's really fucking fascinating. I strongly encourage folks to actually go check out what Monica Lewinsky is up to these days, because one of the things I found very fascinating is that she doesn't deny the power of a 20-something-year-old woman to make her own decisions, which she defended at the time and she defends still. But then to say, what I do understand, though, now as a woman in my 40s, is what he was putting me through, the risk that he was putting me in. I didn't know the risk I was taking, but I was glad to take a risk. He knew the risk he was putting me into and didn't care. And so I think in that way, the lens of history has changed things a bit for her. Well, my friend Kelly Blackheart, I have had a hell of a good time fucking this history with you. I am so grateful that you assigned me this subject. In fact, it was wrong. I will be seeing you again soon, um, and I can't wait. In the meantime, people who love you, of course, uh, where do they find you? Um, you can find me on every, pretty much everything at Kelly Blackheart. I think on TikTok there's an underscore in there somewhere, but it should be pretty easy to find me. Awesome. We'll also have links to you in our show notes if people Perfect. don't want to use their thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, and I'll I'll be seeing you out and about. Thank you. Oh, God, that was fun. Oh, and not long after that recording, I was the guest on Jim Jeffries' I Don't Know About That live at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Yeah, we fucked Titanic in front of a live audience along with Kelly, Forrest Shaw, and Jack Hackett. Oh, I know, right? It just, Jim killed it. He knew a ton. <laughs> if you don't already, follow I Don't Know About That and watch for that episode's release. And I will also announce it, of course, on all of my socials. Coming up next for Hilf, our first audience suggestion. <laughs> I asked for your Hilfs. And you and your fellow listeners overwhelmingly suggested the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion. Oh, hot, right? So I reached out to the guest that I thought would fit the hilfing perfectly. And guys, it is my oldest friend from kindergarten, Adam Andreessen, and not for nothing, my first kiss. It was while we were ice skating in third grade. You'll hear all about it. And he and I were sitting together, crisscross applesauce in 1986 and watched the darn thing happen in school. I mean, this is a fun, trippy, tragic trip down memory lane, and you won't want to miss it. 
Until then, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. If you'd like to become a patron of the pod, go to patreon.com slash hilfpodcast and see what's what. This has been Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody reminding you that history is a party and everybody's coming. (laughs) 